Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, we're making it up as we go along. I'm joined by Rachel Genualdo in a discussion about WandaVision Episode 5 on a very special episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. As always, podcast episodes are fully spoiled for WandaVision. Enjoy the episode. Today, I'm excited to welcome back a return guest to the podcast, Rachel Genualdo. How are you doing today, Rachel? Hi, I'm doing good today. It's very exciting to have you back on the podcast. You previously shared the story of your relationship with the MCU in our episode on Avengers Age of Ultron, which was episode 2.3. And that featured our friends Brooke and Emily as well. (laughs) And we had such a blast doing that. And then the trio of you returned to do a segment for Endgame for episode 2.7. If listeners haven't heard that yet, I hope that they check it out because the story that you guys shared about your Endgame movie theater experience was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But today it's just you, Rachel, and why don't you just give us a quick recap of your journey with the MCU? Okay, so I'm glad to be back again, first of all. I started watching the MCU movies in general when Endgame was scheduled to come out because my friends had seen Infinity War and I wanted to catch up so I could talk about it with them. <laughs> so my mom caught up first and then so I caught up with her shortly after and like she rewatched some of the movies with me. So then we were all caught up to watch Infinity War and then wait for Endgame to be in theaters. And as you discussed on the Endgame episode, it sounds like you had a very fun time with that movie. But of course, I reached out to you when you told me that you were watching and enjoying WandaVision as well. And I want to hear more about your thoughts on the show so far. So first, what have you liked about WandaVision so far? <laughs> it's just, it's very different from what Marvel has released so far. And especially just looking at the dynamics specifically between Wanda and Vision, there aren't like all of the characters of the MCU don't really come in until episode four. So I liked just seeing their relationships specifically and like their dynamic because I know that it was implied that they were together and like it showed scenes with them, but you never really saw their development as much until this show. And just like the show in general is so, I mean, as I said, it's so different. It's like, it takes such a different turn than what they would normally release with the whole different decades and just like the structure of the show. Yeah, it's weird. It's kooky. And it opens up some fun avenues for where the MCU can go in the future. Yeah, it has like, every single time it brings up one plot point you just think of a million other questions that you have for the show (laughs) oh yeah and i will definitely get to a lot of the the questions that we have in a little bit is there anything that you would say has surprised you like i feel like i've predicted things that have actually happened so far so like nothing really came as a big surprise until pietro's appearance maybe later i'll come back to uh some of the predictions that you've had that have come true would you say you have a favorite episode of the ones that have aired so far I gotta say episode four was probably my favorite because I loved how it switched so abruptly. Normally that wouldn't really work, but I I think that that worked out so well because it was 
everyone just had questions about like, okay, what's really going on with these first three episodes of just like going through the decades and like things are getting weird. And then it just shifts to like, here's what's happening. And Mm -hmm. I really liked that that answered so many questions and also raised so many more at the same time. Yeah, I I think even after episode five, which I I do really love and we'll explore why, but I, I do think episode four is still my number one favorite for some of the reasons you're saying. And it, re- it really lived up to that title of We Interrupt This Program, right? Like you said, yeah. it was like just that abrupt, like, oop, we're doing this now. And it was yeah. very cool. But that brings us to the most recent episode, episode five, called On a Very Special Episode. What were your initial reactions to this one? I think it just kind of hammered in the idea of like, things are very weird right now. And I like how it shifted between the world of the TV that Wanda was creating and then the world outside of them trying to deal with what Wanda was creating. And I honestly did not expect Wanda to just come out already. Yes. Like, I was expecting that confrontation so much later. 100%. I have the same thing in my notes, Rachel. That, that was the thing that surprised <laughs> me most about this episode. So I think that this was the perfect episode five for WandaVision because I was thinking about it and the the halfway mark of this episode is also the halfway mark of the series because the series is going to be nine episodes. So I think everything about episode five makes sense given that. So the format, the tone, the themes that we see, the relationships among the characters, and even the title, which I want to expand on a little bit more later and especially the confrontation between Wanda and Vision at the end of this episode, it really does feel like, okay, we're we're halfway through now. I had guessed that we weren't going to go back to 100% full sitcom episodes after last week. I had kind of predicted that it would be a mix, like you were saying, for this one. But I, I did a little bit kind of miss that vibe of being fully immersed because it would have been fun to be fully immersed into an 80s episode. Yeah. <laughs> I know that was like that was the only slight letdown was like, man, we didn't we didn't get an 80s episode like we had half an 80s episode, and half a <laughs> what's going on episode. And this sounds like a maybe a silly thing to get hung up on. But in the 50s and 60s and 70s, each one of those episodes featured a pop song from that decade. It was Yakety Yak, Help Me Rhonda. And which I almost just called Help Me Wanda. <laughs> um, and <laughs> which then is so perfect. <laughs> 70s one, oh, the 70s one had Daydream Believer. And then even last week, um, not that it was a decade appropriate necessarily, but it had Voodoo Child from uh, Jimi Hendrix. And that was like, you know, a popular song, a rock song that was fit into the episode really well. So I was really hoping to, in addition to the theme song for the sitcom, to get like, an 80s pop song or an 80s rock song somewhere in here, but we didn't. That would have been so perfect. <laughs> yeah, that. so that's, again, it seems silly in such a brilliant episode of television to get hung up on that, but that that's just a little me thing that I would have liked to uh, to see. But I, I do think the balance that they went for here, despite all that, does make a lot of sense because after episode four, there's really no turning back now that the audience knows what we know. So that kind of full immersion in the decade just wouldn't have made as much sense. And like you, I was surprised to see Wanda emerge from the bubble, what it felt like so soon. Um, Though, as I said, I guess we are halfway now. But but still, I I wasn't expecting to 
to see that, to see her in like her end game clothing. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really trippy. Like, I honestly didn't recognize her for a second because her outfits have been changing and her appearance has been changing so much that like her going back to a look that we know, it was so disorienting. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was really jarring. And then she had the accent back. <laughs> yeah, I'd also, I, I would also for a second, I was like, did her accent get stronger? But it's really just because she hadn't had it the whole time. Right. So it was just kind of like, oh, no, it's just this is how she's supposed to sound. Yeah, that was definitely, definitely weird. But oh, also something I noticed about um, from once she goes back into the little world that she created, certain objects in the background started getting like really weird red tints to them, like oh. similar to the red tint of like the the border thing, like how when she walked back in, it like like started glowing red right. certain like lights in the background like street lights and stuff had like weird red tints that looked like that which i thought was really strange that's really interesting i hadn't noticed that but the next time i watch i'm gonna look out for that because i had a question mark sort of over the fact that the the bubble itself uh the energy field did glow when she went back in and i had in my mind i was like oh note that to self but i didn't i didn't notice them following up on that color motif afterwards so i'll have to check that out that's very cool i have no idea what it could mean though <laughs> yeah. like eventually, eventually we'll find something out there. <laughs> like most things in this show yeah. and, and i've resigned myself to the fact too that maybe some of it doesn't necessarily have to mean something it could just be adding to the atmosphere and adding True. to kind of like that uneasiness that that we feel like the mood of it but Building on last week, which, as you said, episode four gave us a lot of answers to questions that we had had, episode five does continue to provide us with a few more answers or explanations for things, maybe possible explanations for things, depending on which of the characters we trust. And uh, I was just curious if there were any like big aha moments or answers that stood out to you from this one. Something that was like strange in this episode realizing that vision is technically alive in it at first i always was like oh i think he's just dead and she just manifested him as like something else but like he has awareness he like with everyone else is kind of like what's going on and what's wanda doing to us and from this episode his like weird realization of like this isn't right threw me off because I was like wait that means like she really brought him back to life after he didn't want her to bring him back to life yeah and I was glad that we we had that answered I'm gonna bring up later that I still have some question marks around the story that director Hayward tells about Wanda breaking into sword and taking his body and resurrecting him so I have some question marks about his story but I do think we can kind of take this as conclusive proof that yes he has been resurrected he has free will and agency and the ability to question the ability to feel uh, he some of the scenes that he has in this episode are so powerful because it feels like he's like he's being gaslit right like he's seeing, yeah, like because yeah. she keeps telling him oh no don't worry about it no it's not like and he's going crazy and i definitely want to talk a little bit more about about his character as as we go but i think i think to your point about this episode giving us some answers on vision the other scene that really sticks out is the scene between him and Norm at the computational services. Yeah, that one was weird. <laughs> that one was like almost like upsetting. Finding out that he's kind of conscious of what's going on, but then like 
on when he's under Wanda's spell, it's a weird altered reality in his head. Yeah. And the moment he broke free, he was like, I need to contact my family because yeah. this is, and that was just kind of like upsetting. It was, that, I, that scene was, I definitely found it to be upsetting and very creepy when the, when the electronic mail, as they call it, comes into Ooh, he- the, <laughs> the computer and, Norm starts reading the text on the screen. It says, Maximoff anomaly, high levels of radiation present at perimeter, effects on residents unknown, please advise. He starts reading it, and then everybody in the office is reading it at the same time. And it reminded me of the scene in episode two when they're all like, for the children. It was just very creepy. Yeah. It feels like every time something like that happens, it's a literal glitch in the system, how they all just she loses a little grip of them for a second and then they all just happen at the same time. Like a background sim, the sims, <laughs> when they all just start walking in the same direction for no reason. It's just like they all yeah. just have the one track mind as each, like the same one track mind as each other. Yeah, like this hive mentality thing where they lose their individuality and to, to fit the reality, to fit what Wanda wants, I guess, Uh, you know, in terms of how much of an answer this scene reveals to us, you know, Norm, when when Vision, you know, puts his glowing vision power fingers into Norm's brain, um, (laughs) he says, please help me. Where's my phone? What day is it? My sister. And then he says, you have to stop her. She's in my head. None of it is my own. It hurts. Make her stop. And so we're assuming that the her is Wanda. And I think there is a lot of... Uh, now in text evidence to say that Wanda is doing this, or at least somewhat doing this. She is somewhat in control. But then this episode is also about the ways in which Wanda is not in control. So I think there was the part of me that was almost like, hmm, I wonder if the she or the her here is not actually Wanda or completely Wanda. Ooh, that's, yeah, because the one thing that was weird to me is in, I feel like I brought this scene up in every podcast episode I've been in, but in this one <laughs> scene in Ultron, when Tony has that vision, like it's like the first time we see Wanda really use her power and he has the vision of like everyone dying and like Captain America's like, you could have saved us. At that part, he was not aware at all that like she was in his head. And several scenes in that movie, like they, they all don't know that she's messing with them until like the end like after she messed with them I think I mean I could be wrong with that interpretation right but then in this one they they say it hurts and that they're aware that she's taking control which is two things that didn't happen in the other movies so I wonder if if it's because the high range of people mm. she's controlling or if you're you're how you're saying there could be something else involved yeah, that's a really interesting thought. And I hadn't I hadn't thought about that comparing the the impact of her getting into people's minds that we that we had seen in Ultron. So that's really interesting, Rachel. Thank you for that insight. And it, I guess it just raises more and more questions about what's going on here. But I guess one of the other scenes that I, I wanted to talk about briefly under the umbrella of answers or explanations is when Monica revisits her 70s outfit, <laughs> the the fish pants in all their glory, and she discovers that not only are they real, but that they appear to be mostly Kevlar, which was like her bulletproof vest that she was wearing into Westview. So that suggests, and she says this, quote, it's not an illusion, Wanda is rewriting reality. So this seems to kind of be proof that she 
changes things as they go into the bubble, what they're now calling the hex, which I think is cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go Darcy. She finally, she got something. <laughs> A nice catchy, catchy name for what this, what this is. But yeah, so she's, she's changing things to fit into that, the parameters of that reality. But this seems to show us that when those things come out, they, they retain the change, right? It didn't turn back into her bulletproof vest and the rest of her outfit. So it's that seems like it might have implications for what will happen in the future. So for the residents of Westview and all of like the physical matter in that world, it's not going to come out unchanged or unscathed by what happened, right? So like there are consequences to what Wanda is doing here or what whoever is yeah. doing here, right? And then that prompts Monica to ask the question, what happens if we send something in that requires no change? So I'm wondering if we'll see that happen next week. Also, that raises the question of what's going to happen to her kids. Yeah. Like, because, like, are they real or are they? Because I know that, like, she basically manifested them as just beings of that she created, but that just kind of goes against her power. Cause she, as they mentioned, like she just manipulates things. She doesn't create things. So then like, would they exist if the hex goes away or cause you said that nothing changes. So if they were to come out somehow, then would they stay the same? Yeah. It's a really interesting question because you know, Monica says in this episode, oh, no, those are, you know, because Jimmy Woo assumes that they are cast. They're actors, right? He's like, who are these minors? And Monica's like, no, those are her children. But it's like, I, I don't I don't fully know what reproduction between she and Vision, who is a synthesoid, <laughs> would, would be. I, I can't imagine that it would look like two human children and certainly not two human children who would who would grow and that quickly and be able to age themselves. So while they might be her children, yeah, what does that actually mean? And what does that look like when when the hex is uh, lifted, so to speak? And also her powers don't work on them, which is really strange. In the beginning of the episode when they were babies and she was trying to get them to stop crying, they didn't respond. And yeah. she was like, huh, that's weird. So if she made them, then I wonder why nothing works on them. Again, in terms of questions raised, like, does that imply that it, it's really not all Wanda, right? Does that suggest that there is someone else or some some other force at play here that it, it it's not just her who is able to manipulate this reality? I have a couple of other new questions that come up related to what you just brought up, the scene at the beginning with the crying babies. Agnes shows up. I want to know what's up with Agnes and why she is so unfazed when the boys age up right in front of her. We learn that she is consciously acting in Wanda's play, so to speak. But is she acting voluntarily? Um, how much hold does Wanda have over her? To what extent is she there and making decisions of her own volition? And did she kill the dog? Yeah, that one was weird. the The thing that really threw me off though was the. Do you want me to take that again? Oh man! Like how you were, how you mentioned just now that like, and then the dog like it, how what makes her different from everyone else? Like, is she just fully aware that Wanda just strolled on in and just changed their town? And she was like, "Well, I have nothing else to do, so I might as well just keep acting." <laughs> like, yeah, there, there's definitely a suggestion here that she, yeah, she she plays a different role than the other people in the town. And 
Yeah, she's conscious. She's conscious of it. But how much does that mean that she chose it, right? Like, like I started to wonder this episode if Agnes was a real person who uh, chose to kind of go into this world with Wanda or if Agnes is pulling some strings in, in that maybe she has some powers here. Um, maybe she is a nefarious force. There have definitely been theories thinking that, that uh, Agnes was related to the villain in some way or villainous in her own right. Ooh. I don't know if I, if I think that, but I know that that's a, a thought out there. And, <laughs> and I didn't mean to accuse her of killing the dog, but that scene was eerie. Like that they, you know, as the boys and Wanda show up, she's emerging from the bush with, with, you know, what we're assuming is the dog wrapped up in, in the blanket. And she both genuinely seems upset and about it, but we also know she's an actor. And I, I don't know. I, I did have that moment where I was like, Hmm, what's up with this? Yeah. It seemed like Wanda's reaction to Agnes with the dog was kind of like, why did you go off script like that? It just, it felt like um, Wanda looked at her just kind of like, you didn't follow. Now I have to explain to my kids yeah. death, which is very ironic because it was just established that she couldn't get over Vision's death. And then right. she's like, sometimes we have to leave things dead, but you brought Vision back. So, yep. I had a lot of question marks about that scene as well. A very powerfully acted scene on the part of Elizabeth Olsen. And uh, I, I want to bring that up a little bit again later, too, when we talk about some of the themes. Another character who I have some questions about, and I'm curious to hear your take on him, is director Hayward. Yeah, <laughs> I don't enjoy him. <laughs> Why? Why not? Yeah, he... I agree with Darcy in her comment about him. <laughs> I feel it just, he, he has such a weird vibe. I don't, I don't want to say vibe, but like, he's just, everything about him just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Mm. I don't really understand what his motive is or like why he's just suddenly a big part of this whole operation involving what, like, I get he's the director. So like, obviously he has to have a major role, but it just, it feels like he has some sort of ulterior motive towards like framing Wanda as someone who isn't grieving the loss of someone she loved, but is intentionally trying to harm all the people in the town. Yeah, I agree. And I, that was the question I had about him as well is how much, how much we can trust him and how much he does have ulterior motives. Because when he was introduced last week in episode four, I, my inclination was to trust him because we saw that Monica Rambeau trusted him, right? She came back from her blip and they seemed to have a friendly rapport. I'm like, okay, well, I like Monica. Monica is clearly one of our heroes here. And so if she's got this relationship with him, okay, like, unless he proves otherwise, I'm going along with this train of like, okay, he's he's on the good team here. Then in this episode, he is really antagonistic toward Monica when Monica raises, you know, questions about, you know, saying that Wanda is not a, ter a terrorist, right? Why are you calling her a terrorist? And uh, and director Hayward is, is, I don't know, you lose that sense that he's friendly and supportive of Monica. And I also don't know if we can trust his account of Wanda stealing Vision's body from Sword because he didn't bring that up last episode. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, the video footage was kind of weird, too. Like, it just, it felt like something was missing. 
I'm, I, I don't necessarily doubt that she went in and stole Vision because that does seem like an in-character move for her mm-hmm. in a sense. But it feels like there's something that he's just not telling us about it. Yeah, exactly. I, I just have questions about, like, I think you said, um, I think you used the word framing. And I think that's what I have questions about, like the framing of the story that he's telling. And and even just like when Jimmy Woo was giving kind of the historical account of who Wanda is, like he kept emphasizing certain parts of her past. And, you know, again, as a as you know, Rachel, as a as a teacher and somebody who thinks a lot about language and framing of history and things like this, to me, it just really stood out that he's choosing to use loaded words like terrorist and he's choosing to emphasize hey, the first interaction she had with the Avengers, she was antagonistic, even though Jimmy is saying, okay, well, dude, eventually she fought alongside them, you know? But like what he's choosing to tell, what he's choosing to focus on just made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of pushing the agenda of she's a bad person when there is evidence to suggest that she has changed because it's not like the events that were negative happened recently. It was... Mm -hmm. So there is room for character growth, but he just didn't really care. He was just kind of like, oh, well, these things happen. So she's a bad person. Totally. Just- yeah. He, he's picking and choosing to fit let the narrative that he that's going to serve his motives. Right. And maybe I'm yeah. wrong and maybe he's not going to be an antagonist. And, you know, clearly he, he was a little antagonistic this episode, no matter what. But, you know, I, I'm not saying that I necessarily think he's a villain here. Uh, but I am saying that I don't think I can fully trust him. After yeah, and I mean, week. also, just because Monica trusted him at one point doesn't mean he hasn't changed either, because she was gone for a really long time. So he could have just been, he could have been a different person when she knew him before she disappeared. Yeah, that's a great point, too. Because a lot, a lot can change in that five years, especially those five years <laughs> of what, yeah. what we know has happened. Those ones in particular. <laughs> yeah. Bad. So over the past few weeks, the, the guests I've had on and I have been talking about some of the more, I guess you could say, literary aspects of the show. <laughs> I can't get away from that uh, that training that I have. And I know, Rachel, that's what you're studying as well. Yes. <laughs> so that works out for us. <laughs> it does, for sure. So I, you know, there's, there's themes that we see. There are certain symbols and significant objects that come up and, uh, and then, you know, otherwise just kind of motifs. And one of the themes that in my first episode that I did on WandaVision with Trey from MCU Need to Know, we talked about the first two episodes of the series, and he specifically named this idea of paranoia and fear. And I think that really came back in full force in this episode here, like Vision saying uh, in the at the end, toward the end of the episode, in the argument he has with Wanda, he talks about feeling scared. He actually names it as I'm scared, which I think is the first time that he says that. And of course, the scene we talked about a little bit with Norm already, you can see that fear that he has um, when he's allowed to tap back into his real self, so to speak. I think it's just like the fear of not having control is such a big theme because even the people outside of the hex are afraid of what's going on inside of the hex because they can't control Wanda and they know that they can't. Mm-hmm. So especially when she makes that appearance appearance halfway through the episode and they all had their guns trained on her, they were scared of yeah. what she could do to them because they saw what she could do inside. So the combination of their fear for her and then the fear of all the 
just citizens on the inside just feels like a weird war going on of like they're both afraid of each other and they're both well no they're both afraid of wanda and Mm. what she could do and vision is afraid of wanda it certainly seems and yeah i think that's interesting that you're you're connecting this concept of fear with this concept of control that I, i had also made note of especially in this episode we heard in a, in a previous episode, you know, Wanda assuring Vision, I have everything under control. And this episode is all about how she doesn't. And I think, like you said, Rachel, that's very much connected to this idea of fear. So we talked a little bit already. She tries to take the the shortcut at the beginning of the episode to try and make the baby stop crying, but they won't. And so she says, why won't you do what I want? It sounds very, you know, it, it's it's shot in this sitcom-y way, but that's such a a harsh message, right? About fear and control. And I know you mentioned you wanted to talk about this at some point too, was the theme song, how they yeah. just keep repeating, making it up as we go along. Yeah. Which is the first time that we've ever had that idea of maybe she doesn't know what she's doing and she is making it up as she goes along because at first it seemed very calculated and meticulous of like, we're going through the decades and she has control of literally everything that's going on, especially with like her cleaning the house and like putting all the dishes away. Like she has control of basically everything. And then in this episode, it's like, oh, we're just making it up because she can't control her kids growing. She can't control what other people, how like other people react to what's going on, like vision. And then like what Agnes does when she goes off script, like just- Great point. That's a really good connection too with the with the theme song. And I think I'm going to name this episode title. We're making it up as we go along, by the way. I always try to pick a a fun quote from the episode that I think kind of encapsulates what it was all about. And I think you're right. And again, to that concept of control, right? Agnes says, kids, you can't control them no matter how hard you try, right? Like literally, one of the things I love about this show so much is that a lot of the the turns of phrase, the, the quotes that characters say, operate on different levels. A, an ordinary person might say that to their friend who's a parent, like, ah, you can't control everything they do. But in this case, it works on such a funny level because... Wanda does have the capability to control what people do, at least to some extent. So it just adds to the the humor for me. Uh, You know, I'm a big fan of that uh, multi-level, different layers of significance and meaning to one line. And this show has just been doing so well with that. And the idea of not being able to control everything is such a powerful metaphor, right? We, We hear this all the time. In, in times of trouble and grief in, in the real world. And just to have that magnified to the level of this character who can control things more than your average person, <laughs> but even she yeah. can. And it's, it's funny because if you like, well, not funny, but like if you reflect on Vision's death, it, it was a moment that she totally should have been able to control because she, she killed him in her own way. And then Thanos was like, oh no, you don't get to control this. Oh. And then went back and then killed him in his way. And that was just like, she's so used to having control over what she can do that the fact that she isn't, wasn't able to make that decision and he died kind of in vain almost was just that that's the sad. That's a great, great point about that connection to the end of infinity war that what should have been, you know, an empowering moment for her as sad and tragic as it was to have to kill this, this, this person that she loves 
that was taken from her as well. Right? It couldn't just be this moment of sacrifice that she had control over, as you're saying, but that that was that was taken from her. And I, I think that that relates nicely to the other themes that we are seeing in this show about pain and grief and trauma. And when Monica, the first scene we see of Monica in this episode, she's reflecting on her experience being within the hex. She says, uh, the way I think they ask, you know, what it felt like or whatever. And she said, pain. And she said, it felt like pain and Wanda's voice in my head, a hopeless feeling keeping me down. It was grief. And, and as she's saying that, you see shots of Wanda's face crying. And that really, you know, suggests that when Monica went into, into the hex, that she, that whatever, to whatever extent Wanda was in control of how she was feeling and how she was behaving, that she was feeling Wanda's pain and feeling Wanda's grief, which is really interesting to me because Monica is grieving too. Like she literally just found out that she not only lost five years of her life, but while she was gone, her mom died. Like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. How That's is she true. even operating right now? You know what I mean? And I, I, Kevin last week had said, he mentioned last week about how, you know, Monica would be feeling so much grief of her own that maybe throwing herself into this experience and, you know, consciously even kind of choosing to go into that bubble was a way of, you know, putting her mind on something else other than the extreme loss that she had just suffered. And it makes me think about the different ways in which we all deal when faced with pain and grief. And some of us turn to TV, which is, again, I think it works so nicely, this metaphor <laughs> of how this show has set up retreating into this television world. And even at the end of this episode, when Wanda and Vision are fighting and she wants to shut down the argument, right? She's like, can we just, and he's like, what? watch TV. And it just like, I feel yeah. like it really so perfectly captures a, 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 a version of a human response to trauma, which is to try to escape it. And I think this might also be a good time to go back to that scene that you brought up earlier about Wanda's talk with her, with her sons when the dog dies. Their initial reaction to that pain and grief of losing the dog is to try to make themselves older again. And she has to tell them to not do that. So she says, and I think this reveals so much about her. She says, the urge to run from this feeling is powerful, I know. And they say, you can fix anything, you can fix the dead. And she's like, what, no? And I think this is the line that you mentioned before. She says, there are rules in life. We can't rush aging because it's convenient and we can't reverse death no matter how sad it makes us. Some things are forever. What do you make of that? Is that inconsistent with the actions she took to reversing Vision's death? Or is there more going on here? It feels like the um, do as I say, not as I do, like that <laughs> yeah. saying. She she just imagines it as a different scenario. Like she's like, oh, that's just their dog. She never, she wasn't really like for the dog either. Like mm -hmm. when the dog showed up, she was like, are you guys sure? It's a yeah. big responsibility. And then she's like, I guess we can keep it. And then, but with vision, she's like, no, that's different because it's vision. She feels like they're two different scenarios when they really aren't. I mean, like, yeah, a dog compared to a person might like, yeah, but it's still to them. The pain is still very real regardless of what the loss is so the fact that she's saying i can't bring the dog back because death is permanent and you have to learn to kind of deal with it and right. process it and move past it 
And then the way that she doesn't see the irony in her words, like it feels like she's just saying it and then not even realizing that that's the exact thing that she's doing. Totally. And it feels like such a double standard that it makes me wonder if she's not fully conscious of what she did or if there's a repressed memory of what she did or something like that because she even seems taken aback when they say, hey, you can fix the dead. And again, is she just like a master gaslighter? Right. Is she just like (laughs) so good at being like, what? No, you're the crazy one. I can't do that. Right. So she's either that or there's something going on that she is confused about, too, that she doesn't really know. In my notes, I literally just wrote, is Wanda not even fully aware of what she's doing? Because it especially in the first episodes, like it seemed like when they were trying to contact her, she wasn't really processing that like. It felt yeah. like she thought that the TV world was just the world. It didn't. It, it felt like she was alongside the other people who were there, and they were all trapped in this world. And then coming to the realization that like she is controlling everything that's going on, and then there are people trying to stop it. It felt more like she doesn't actually fully understand that people are getting hurt because of what yeah. she's doing. Yeah, it made me wonder about the scene. At the end of episode three, when Wanda, sorry, not Wanda, when Monica as Geraldine in that moment says something about Ultron, is that the moment that makes Wanda snap out of it and remember the real world more? Ultron. Oh, my God. I haven't heard of that name in a while, right? Like, was that the thing that kind of made her start to be more aware of what she's doing? And is there this level of what she's doing being something subconscious? Oh, man, what a show. Yeah, and then I think the beginning of um, episode four was when it showed how she got Monica out, like how she pushed her through all the walls. Right. And that was the only moment that we saw. Like from that point forward was when we were like, oh, Wanda's aware of it. Right. But there was, like like you said, there was no really other moments that she seemed aware of what she was doing. And, and like, I don't know if that was because make the viewer think that she wasn't aware until yeah. that moment. I guess Even- there was the no moment with the beekeeper where she was like, no. Oh, true. Yeah. But I think yeah. you're I think I, I still think you're right, though. In those moments, it didn't it didn't feel like she knew that Sward was hanging out in tents right outside the bubble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because when I first watched episodes one and two, I like told my not to be like I'm ahead of the time. But I told <laughs> my mom, I was like, I think that Wanda's grieving and she's making this whole world. But I thought it was subconscious. Like, I didn't think that she right. was actually like full on I'm making this world for me and vision because he deserves to live and I don't want to deal with the loss I just thought it was like in the back of her mind she did this right and then it spiraled from there but now that I'm thinking about it, it's like maybe that's kind of it she's aware a little bit of what she's doing but it's mainly like a knee-jerk reaction of mm. like I want to protect what I had with Vision as opposed to like dealing with the consequences of just him not being here anymore. Yeah, it feels like the extreme manifestation of not facing your trauma or your grief headfirst and going so far into the mental recesses of escapism that that's the the reality that you manifest, right? Oh my gosh, I accidentally turned it into a 1950s sitcom because I've been escaping in my mind, you know? Yeah. Which is just so brilliant. And I I just really love the show. (laughs) 
<laughs> Same. I, I was, I was, I've been looking forward to it. I think I mentioned it in the Endgame episode. I was like, WandaVision. Like, <laughs> just like, I've been looking forward to the show for so long. So I'm so, I'm so happy with how it's turning out so far. Yeah. And we still have four more episodes. So I, I can't wait. <laughs> but I guess related to that topic of, you know, escaping into TV and this and that too, you know, one of the things that I immediately clocked in episode three was Vision's reference to the quote, all the world's a stage and, you know, this motif of, of acting. And then that very much, you know, paid off last week in episode four, when the, the sword agents, you know, realized that that is in fact, not just sword agents, I should say, you know, cause Jimmy Wu is FBI and Darcy is not, you know, she's consulting for sword. She's not sure. actually sword, but regardless when the people outside, you know, started to realize that that's what Wanda was doing, that she was, you know, people were being cast in certain roles. I think this episode builds on that motif even more so. Uh, you already mentioned Agnes saying, do you want me to take that again? You know, and, and it's just like those moments are so jarring. You know, her chipper voice is gone and the laugh track cuts out. And it, it just like, again, she says, should we take it from the top? And, and Vision laughs awkwardly. And it's just so, so creepy. And then once once Wanda says, you know, don't be silly, let's let Agnes give it a try. That's when Agnes, you know, kicks back into her character and making all the jokes that she typically makes as Agnes and the laugh track is back. And it's just so well done. I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, it's so hard to get a read on their emotions in those scenes, too. It isn't just confusion. There's more emotions to it than that. It zooms in on their faces and you're just mm -hmm. trying to get a read on what what are they thinking and yeah. if are they thinking the same thing when like Wanda and Vision stare at each other as Agnes is just kind of like hey do you want me to do it again like I'll do it again and then they're just they're trying to like communicate but they aren't on the same page as yeah. Vision states I think in that episode it's, yes on the same page. yes but it yeah. does and it's yeah you're right it just it just contributes to that really eerie feeling I did want to talk a little bit more about the format of WandaVision and how this episode plays with format. And uh, I also want to talk about certain TV tropes that this episode plays into that I was really excited to see referenced here. What did you think about the format this week with the mix of the 80s setting and the current timeline? You may have spoken to this a little bit already, but... Yeah, I think how we said before, how if it just went fully back to the 80s as much as we wanted it to, right. it would have just been too jarring and we would have just been kind of disconnected from the show. I think that it had the perfect mix of keeping us immersed in the world that Wanda made and also keeping us on track with how the outside is reacting to it. Yeah, and progressing that plot forward as well. All of that being said, though, I did really relish in some of the 80s sitcom stuff that they did here. And I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that opening and the, the theme song. So the opening to the sitcom, I should say, and what serves as the theme song for the sitcom. So, Rachel, I sent you two YouTube clips of the opening credits of two 80s sitcoms, Growing Pains and Family Ties. And I'm curious what you thought of those. It was, as you said in the text they sent me, they were <laughs> the perfect combination of both. They nailed that theme song. The theme songs are like probably one of my favorite parts of just every episode because yeah. they kind of fill in all those tropes. Like, just in case you were confused, we're in the 80s now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and after watching those theme songs, it was just like 
perfect. Just the the family photos and then the painting of their family yeah. portrait. I, I also love all the pictures of Vision as a baby. <laughs> oh my so god! <laughs> Who knew that the year twenty twenty one would give us baby Vision? <laughs> who is so memeable and yeah kind of creepy to be honest yeah it was a little i really want to figure out how they made those photos like what who, who did they pay for photoshopping this? <laughs> like, <laughs> and i wonder if baby vision's face was put on top of real childhood photos of paul bettany probably not now that i'm thinking of it but those definitely were uh, real photos of young elizabeth olsen so now that you mention it though that would be so funny Wouldn't if it? they were like can you send us your baby photos but we're gonna edit them <laughs> <laughs> i was a, a big fan of the show growing pains growing up which it, it was a little bit before my time because it ran from 1985 to 1992 when it was first on. So I, maybe maybe some listeners don't know this. I was born in 89, right? So I would have been very little when the show was still running. Obviously it came out before I was born. But when I was growing up as as a kid and, and a preteen and a young teen, I would watch this show all the time when it was in syndication. And the show Family Ties, I also have seen, but I had a big attachment to Growing Pains as a kid. So when I saw the opening uh, credits to this to this episode, sorry, th- this episode within the episode, I immediately recognized the uh, photos, like the series of photos in which they would use the actor as a little baby, and then they would use the actor when they were a little bit older. And then uh, that was very delightful to me. And the <laughs> and and family ties and growing pains weren't the only two shows in the 80s that did this but the theme song being this like very cheesy ballad that talked about love and family and like one male singer one female singer and then like this duetting it, it, it's very much like in uh it just works so well it meets yeah, it was, the trope so well i didn't watch any of those shows obviously even i recognize the very popular tropes of the aging up photos like you said in like the cheesy theme song about life and right. how it's that they're making it up as we go along even though that one has the double meaning but it's still yeah. like it felt like an 80s song yeah and i also <laughs> i loved how the postcards were all westview um and also the one two three four five birthday cake for the kids one more reference when they're at the gazebo and the camera pans out the, the family is having a little picnic near the gazebo. That, to me, read as very much a reference to Full House. Yeah, I noticed that one, too. Which, great connection, because as I now know, although I didn't know this prior to last year, six months ago, whenever it was, Elizabeth Olsen is the Olsen twins' sister. So that is especially satisfying um, since they were on Full House. Another thing I wanted to touch on here is the title this week on a very special episode. Dot, dot, dot. So, Rachel... I'm not sure the extent to which you are aware of this, but the quote-unquote very special episode is a big sitcom trope. And it seems to not be so much of a thing anymore, especially as television has changed a lot in the age of streaming and binging and things like this. But in the 80s, 90s, maybe even before that, when an episode of an otherwise family-friendly comedic sitcom was going to deal with a particularly dark or more mature storyline, the advertising for it might announce on a very special episode. and Or it would be billed that way in the TV guide. 
And again, most of the time it would have dealt with something like drugs or alcohol or sex or these things that were taboo on a a family sitcom. Uh, Or it wasn't necessarily one of those. It could have been, and more relevant to what we see here in WandaVision, episodes about grief or death that they would put a little bit more emphasis on and just let the audience know this is going to be a serious episode. And again, you know, WandaVision with this title is paying homage to these TV tropes in a way that is not just for fun, but also consistent with the story they're telling. And I enjoy that so much because this episode was was that, right? You know, she's trying to talk to her children about hard life things like trauma and death, right? And it's also the one in which we see a rift between Wanda and Vision themselves and, you know, question what's the future of their relationship and their family, so... We have to mention the commercial. Oh, yeah. That one, that fit so well. <laughs> like, just the Lagos. For when you make a mess you didn't mean to. Is that referring to her kids? I would like to assume that that's referring to her kids because <laughs> she made, and like also just in general, like just she made this world and then now she can't control it anymore. Yeah. So, like, it became. All she wanted was Vision to have this life and then with her and then it spiraled into something that she doesn't have control over anymore. Yeah, it works on so many levels. It works on that level. It works on the level of the reference to Lagos in uh, Captain America Civil War when she accidentally like diverts the guy who had the bomb. Right. And literally in that case because of her accidental mess, right? Blood was being spilled. And then here we have this red juice being spilled. And so I thought it was notable that it was like this red color. And yeah, it completely fits with the theme of this episode that you already talked about. That's like fear of losing control and making these messes. And I, again, I just, I'm always very impressed with the theme songs and with the commercials connecting yeah. to aspects of her traumatic past and connecting with the themes. So and it also says in the commercial, like you, like along the lines of, you can also clean up messes your husband makes. And <laughs> yeah. it's like Vision is starting to catch on that this world isn't real. So he's trying to kind of break his way out. Yeah. So she's trying to reel him back in of, no, he's making a mess of the world that I want for us. So great I have point. to fix this. That's a really great point, too. I hadn't even considered that, that they bring in that husband role. Really interesting. A- another, you know, I feel like there's a lot to talk about this week in terms of sitcom tropes, but another one is this idea of recasting. So it used to happen all the time on sitcoms and on soap operas that a character would be recast and the other characters on the show would just pretend like it never happened and the audience was supposed to kind of pretend like it never happened. And this still happens that characters on shows get recast, but in more recent years, you know, I think because of online communities and fans being much more connected to what's going on with the media they consume, there would be more audience awareness of the reasons why. Like, oh, maybe this person's, uh, for whatever reason, needed to be recast because they they took on a different role or there was some controversy with this actor or whatever it might be, Um, as opposed to watching something in the 80s where like one week suddenly a character just has a new face and you're supposed to just go with it. (laughs) Um, So this brings us to actually the last scene of this week's WandaVision in which Wanda opens the door to find... Pietro? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what were your thoughts on that? Honestly, I was just laughing. (laughs) He showed up on screen. I 
verbally said no (laughs) they did not take evan peters and bring him into this show that was so well done like that yeah that is the funniest thing i think just marvel has done so far after the episode ended because every week when the episode ends my mom and i discuss our theories (laughs) i love that just kind of like reflect on the episode together I had to have her stop for a second. I was like, I'm sorry. I, I will listen. I just need a moment to reflect on the fact that they recasted Pietro as another Pietro in a different universe. Yeah. It was so delightful. It, it It's a payoff if you, you know, for viewers who have watched the Fox X-Men movies and enjoyed Evan Peters' performance. I don't know what, what your take previously was. Did you... Not that it's a competition, but did you have a preference for Evan Peters' take on Quicksilver versus Aaron, uh, oh my gosh, Aaron Taylor Johnson in Age of Ultron or vice versa? I I do like Evan Peters better as um, Quicksilver, but I think it's only because I think I just like his character in the movie better and we get more screen time with him so maybe if we saw more of him in the marvel cinematic universe that that would opinion would change but just from what i've seen in his other performance i just like that version better right because it's not even just about the actor it's the writing and and the role that that he had you know being able to to show up in a few x-men movies as opposed to just you know the one age of ultron that we saw pietro in the mcu although i'm a i'm a MCU Pietro Stan, even though we <laughs> that's, that's we fair. get so little of him, I I, just, I find him delightful. But I I also really like Evan Peters as an actor in a lot of things that he's done, and I also really enjoyed. Um, I I like X Men, and I really really love X Men characters, and I think I hope maybe you know this is going to open up some possibilities for some universe crossover. You know this this recasting it, it's funny and it works in that TV trope kind of way, uh, but it then raises a question of of it being related to the multiverse and having you know different universe versions of of this one character. And I, it's I'm really excited for the questions that open up. I loved his '80s look. I loved his outfit. Yes, oh, <laughs> that was the, so. I I think the outfits. I mean, that could just be because preference for '80s, right? But like. Wanda's outfit was so nice like in the beginning with the um pink reddish shirt with the high-waisted um jeans and the suspenders yeah like that was a top tier outfit and then Evan Peters delivered with his outfit yeah it's just like I totally so agree cool. I loved Wanda's look in this episode her hair and makeup it just fit in so nicely I love that she's wearing Keds and the kids are wearing uh, Converse and I yeah I loved the look of this episode completely I also love awesome. that Pietro said Who's the popsicle? <laughs> yes, the way it was so nonchalant. Like, I wonder though if who he is. Yeah. Like, if he if she just took a random person from the town and just made him her brother, or if she also manifested him like she made her kids. And that's a great question too, because she also seemed genuinely shocked to see him. So that made me yeah. wonder, like, hmm, is this again? If there's something else at play here, whether it be Wanda's subconscious being stronger than she even knows it is and her subconscious because she had just talked about her brother with her with her children you know her subconscious kind of like opening this door like the universe you know bringing him in 
Or is there, again, is there some other force at play that is going, let's throw the brother in, you know, a version <laughs> of the brother, right? And it's it's crazy. I, I'm hoping in the next episode, not this is not a prediction so much as a hope, but that we'll get to see them interact more. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see how how that dynamic goes. Like if he has any memory of like her as a person or if she, we're just supposed to write it off as like, Oh yeah, they're brother and sister. And like, he's visiting town and that's like yeah. just kind of it. Yeah. And I'm curious about how vision's going to react to it too, especially after the argument they got into at the end of this episode. Yeah. I know v- vision, like there, there's so many ways that he could go with this. If, just him trying to figure out what's going on. I wonder if he's going to like turn to other townspeople and kind of do his own research away from Wanda. Cause he knows that she's kind of aware of what's going on and denying it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder too. I wonder that scene toward the end and we'll, we'll talk about it in a couple of minutes, but that changes everything for how they're interacting with each other. And we now know too, that he kind of tapped into Norm's mind, you know, who would have been the actual Norm, and I wonder if we'll see him do that again as well. I wonder if we'll see him communicate with the outside as well, with with Sword, with Monica, and and them. Yeah, I, I mean, if if theoretically, if he wanted to leave, what would happen? Because they right. said that, as you mentioned earlier, if something leaves, it it's permanently changed by being inside. So is he alive now? Like, if he were to leave and just kind of figure out what's going on would he be the same vision that was alive before or would he just collapse because he was dead <laughs> like these are yeah things, right right you know? and he and he says here that he doesn't remember who he was before westview so a lot of really interesting identity stuff going on for vision and i do want to spend a few minutes talking about the characters and some observations or new information that we learned about some of the characters um you know, we'll we'll start with Wanda. I think we've talked extensively about her already. Was there anything else that we haven't touched on that you thought was a standout moment for Wanda in this episode? I feel like I know we talked about her being confused, but just like her general confusion, it's hard to know when she's acting and when she's serious. Yeah, which is. It, it makes it hard to understand just how much she is in control and mm-hmm. like just how much she's confused about because in like when Agnes goes off script, we don't know if, if Wanda was confused because she knows that Agnes is supposed to be under her control and she wasn't in that moment or if she was genuinely confused by the fact that she was like, you want me to do it again? Mm. Like, because that could mean what do you mean do it again? Like, why, right. why would you want to take something again? Like we're, we're yes, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I, I think, you know, and, and part of it's a credit to Elizabeth Olsen that she does play those moments so well, like you said, when we're looking at her facial expressions and we're trying to read what's going on. And uh, I think she's doing a really good job portraying that confusion and that sense of loss of control and that sense of, we don't know what to make of it. And I think that's intentional. We also in this episode, you know, we already kind of a little bit talked about the the narrative that director Hayward spins about Wanda's past. And 
I I did think it was interesting, you know, so they, they remind us again about the experiment, the experimentation with the Mind Stone and how she gains telepathic and telekinetic abilities from that. You know, part of me feels like some of that rundown was meant to uh, fill in some viewers who maybe checked out WandaVision without having necessarily watched all of the MCU. So I feel like they're kind of like filling in that for for your casual viewers a little bit more. But at the same time, I think it's it's notable that, you know, again, they're drawing attention to the fact that she gained powers through experimentation with the Mind Stone. And later on, Vision says, you know, we're usually of the same mind and we know that he had the Mind Stone. So it's just like, I think I think they draw attention to certain words and certain um, imagery. And I also enjoyed that Hayward asked if she has an alias because we know that, you know, from comics that she's Scarlet Witch, but in the MCU, they've never called her Scarlet Witch. And <laughs> this, yeah. ep- this episode when he asks if she's got an alias and, you know, Jimmy Woo says no, but this is also the episode where we're hearing the word hex, which is like a very witchcrafty type word. So I feel like it's Ooh. coming and we're, you know, we're seeing that red color, like you pointed out, like being drawn attention to that red color. So I feel like Scarlet Witch is coming soon and I'm excited to see who is responsible for using that moniker first and how it gets attached to her. But I think it's, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I love comparing the two universes because like with everything else, they're so different from each other. But with some of the characters, there's overlap. Right. And so obviously we know through Pietro, him bridging that gap of just being the same actor in two different universes, (laughs) it, it kind of, it makes it like how different, how they go about the same story in different ways because they're also different stories at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I, some people I noticed online uh, made a connection between the imagery of Wanda when she, when she emerges from the bubble, from the hex, and uh, she uses her powers to divert the line of gunfire that was targeted on her. And like, she diverts it to Hayward as she leaves, which is such like a, a badass move. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's like, don't bother me. It won't bother you. Right. Like, and, and then she leaves with that, um, which this will be your only warning, but people have drawn a connection between that imagery and imagery of Magneto in some of the X-Men movies. And it does make me wonder, you know, again, if, if people who are aware of the comics or know who this character was in the comics and know that she was a mutant, are they going to somehow make that connection? Like we know in the MCU, she gains her powers from the Mind Stone, or at least we think so, right? There's also the theory that maybe her powers were enhanced by the Mind Stone, but maybe she already had, you know, really was a mutant as well as Quicksilver. So we really don't know. And I, I think it's interesting. And I maybe I'm thinking too much into things. So I'll share this one. The very beginning of this episode, in what would have been like the sitcom Cold Open, and they're just like making silly jokes about babies crying and parenting and blah, blah, blah. Vision cracks this joke about reading the baby's Charles Darwin's The Descent of Man. And he makes this joke about how like the baby, it made the baby cry harder or whatever. So my ears peaked up at this because I, the, the line that he had about Shakespeare was not a throwaway line at all. Like I feel like it was very tied into, you know, the motifs of the show. So with this, Charles Darwin's Descent of Man, that that book was about human evolution from like earlier beings. So it made me wonder if this was intentional foreshadowing about human evolution related to maybe mutants or if it was like a reference to to Vision's own origins in Age of Ultron. Ultron uses a lot of that language of humans evolving. So maybe it's nothing, but it was a connection that I I thought about. No, that is a really cool connection. I didn't really... 
I, I know that like most of the lines aren't throwaway lines, but like that one, I just <laughs> didn't focus on as much as you did, but that's like really interesting to think about. Yeah. There's so, there's so much to think about with this show that there's definitely some lines that, that, uh, fly past me and then other ones that I spend probably too much time thinking about, but (laughs) yeah, just (laughs) you could probably watch the episodes multiple times and catch a new detail every single time you watch it, which is such a good show characteristic to have. Totally. Also, I would just like to mention Pietro, um, crossing universes can be the start of the plan to get Deadpool into the MCU. (laughs) I would love that. I just want canon interaction between Deadpool and Ant-Man, and I just want to see how they interact with each other. That's an amazing thought. That would be <laughs> Ryan Reynolds and Paul Rudd in the same room together. I can only imagine what, what chaos You're right. That sounds ensue. amazing. <laughs> what about, so, you know, I kind of just mentioned Vision's line about the book there. Anything else related to Vision that you wanted to touch on? Um, nothing comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Um, I didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, just I think you you kind of already talked about this earlier, but this idea that he is he he's questioning, he's concerned, he's scared, right? Like he uh, has this when when Agnes comes over, you know, he's hiding, he he's hiding and changing his face, and he at one point, you know, he's just talking to Wanda and the kids, and he's wearing his human disguise i guess you could say and wanda asks him why he's so formal and and he's just like well it's a precaution right someone might pop over like so he's in previous episodes it was interesting because wanda was the one who kept being like we have to fit in we have to fit in but in this episode when he's really trying very hard to fit in and chastising her about not concealing her abilities she says i'm tired of hiding and maybe you don't have to hide either which is really that was interesting to me that it was kind of like a contrast to what we saw before and i wonder why if this is her ideal world, then why does she want to hide them? Like, what what made her want to disguise their powers when she can just convince them that it's normal with I, her own power? <laughs> I've wondered that as well, that all along, even in the immersed world of the 50s sitcom, that was part of the narrative, was that they had these powers that they had to hide, which was really interesting. They could have, like, she could have just cast it in a different way, that they didn't have powers at all. They could have just been normal people, right? But but again, that makes me also think maybe it's not all her or not all consciously her, at least. And then, you know, finally, I guess on the topic of Wanda and Vision, you know, that scene toward the end of the episode, I already mentioned uh, how, you know, she kind of just wants the conversation to be over. And, uh, you know, can we? And he says, what? Just watch TV, turn in for the night so everything can change over again. You can't control me the way you do them. And that connects to what we were talking about earlier, this idea of control. And she says, can't I? And the theme music starts playing and the audience clap and the credits roll. Like, yeah. while they're arguing and that was so yeah. funny to me just like could you imagine like you in everyday interactions listen i've made my point i'm done with this conversation i'm gonna roll the credits and the theme music over you like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's the ultimate mic drop I'm yeah like- <laughs> yeah that really tickled me i thought that was really great but then of course you know here we see vision saying no we're we're not done here and confronting her on this maximoff anomaly uh, he says, I want to quote some of the dialogue because I think it's it's interesting. He says, I have to believe that this was subconscious at first. And that's kind of what you were saying, Rachel, and that you only recently became aware of it. And she goes, aware of what? 
And he bursts through the door in the living room, and now it's his real vision face. And the music and the credits stop, and there's this like electricity sound. And he um, like raises his voice, "Stop lying to me." He levitates in the air, and then she levitates in the air, <laughs> and she says, "All of this is for us. Let me handle it." And he questions, "What is outside of Westview?" She says, "You don't want to know." And he says, "You don't get to make that choice for me, Wanda." She says, you've never talked to me like this before. And he says, before what? I can't remember my life before Westview. I can't remember who I am. I'm scared. So much identity stuff going on for him. Being told by someone else, you don't want to know. I'm protecting you. No, you know, like I I need to make choices for myself. You can't protect me. You can't shield me. And then she says, you know, she defines for him who he is. You are my husband. You're Tommy and Billy's father. Isn't that enough? And again, like it, it's... Well, it, it kind of sounds like an abusive relationship almost, right? Like this idea of I'm going to tell you that you can't make choices for yourself for your own good. And he's about to lose it. He, you know, he's tired of this. And I think it's just so interesting. He continues to question why are there no other children in Westview? Which again, so creepy. Like if you go back to episode two for the children, the fundraiser for the children when there's no children around. Oh, like what? <laughs> right? And then she says, do you really think I'm controlling everything, that I'm somehow in charge of everybody in Westview? And she says, you know, walking their dogs, mowing their lawns, et cetera. And she says, I don't know how any of this started in the first place. And he says, what you're doing here is wrong. It's wrong. And that's when Pietro shows up. But that makes me, you know, again, come back to this idea of like, can we believe Wanda here? Either Wanda is clearly, like I said, gaslighting up a storm completely holding other people to different standards than she holds herself, which is not the Wanda we know, right? This is not the Wanda we want to believe in. We like Wanda. She's one of our heroes. And that seems so harsh, right? (laughs) For her to be treating people this way. So that makes me kind of feel like maybe we believe her when she says that she doesn't know how this started. Maybe we believe her when she says that she's not in control of everything. And I just thought that scene was so powerful. Yeah, I, I can like, I, as I mentioned before, I totally agree with Vision just being like, I have to believe it's subconscious at first. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, regardless of her grief, it doesn't seem like a thing for her to do to just like take everyone. And I noticed she does a lot of things for herself in, in the past, like in other movies and stuff, but it just, it seems like she really didn't know how to deal with her grief. So she immersed herself into a world, but now she's stuck in that world and then she doesn't want to leave it. And so just the idea of leaving the perfect life where she has her husband and her kids and that's it. She's content with that. But the problem is vision isn't because he wants to know, he wants to make that choice of his own volition. And that's the thing that's probably breaking her where she's denying like, I don't know. It just, it felt like she got too specific with her description of what she controlled. Like she could have just said, denied it flat out and been like, you really think I control them? Like I don't control them. But she was like, oh, what? Like mow their lawns, walk the dogs. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All the things where it's like, um, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even the, the, the mail carrier in this world says something in to the boys when he's like, ah, your mom will make sure he turns up. Right. Like when they're missing the dog that, yeah, your mom's got everything under control. But at the same time, it's like this, this, everything spun out of her control. That's what it feels like to me. It's spun out of her control. It's, it's the paper towel commercial. It's the mess that she didn't intend to make, but it's gotten messier and messier. And 
what a good show. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she would even know how to stop it if she wanted to. Yeah. And I wonder if it's right. one of those things where because I know that's a trope in TV where it's like they start something and then it gets out of hand and then they can't control it. Right. And I it seems like that kind of vibe is it's gonna keep growing. And yeah. then once it grows in power, not even she can shut it down or she won't know how to. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it certainly seems like. So that kind of connects to, you know, what I was going to ask you uh, before we wrapped up, which was, where do you think the next episodes are going or what might happen next? And and I know you've already kind of shared some of your thoughts, but is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, um, it's it seems like whenever I think of something that could be it, more questions come out. <laughs> Same. I mean, as I mentioned before, like I, I figured it was Wanda controlling it, but that's about as far as I got in terms of theorizing. So I'm really excited to see. I think that Vision's probably going to be the one to save everyone. And I would, I feel like they they might bring someone in who's like an Avenger. Like I know mm-hmm. that they mentioned Captain Marvel, but then I was also think maybe like um Clint can come in if he wants to. He might because he's kind of close with her and he held her in Ultron, but I don't know yeah. where he is. So Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned Clint. Uh he <laughs> we were talking about how he's not my favorite, but I do like his relationship a lot with Wanda. And both in Ultron and Civil War and Endgame, he he has heart to hearts with Wanda, so that's a good thought. You just yeah, brought he up seems like the, to be the only one who can really get through to her. Yeah, and I mean besides Vision, obviously, but like it seems like he's the only one who has that relationship of like he can talk to her and yeah. like bring her down to Earth and give her things like it is. Yeah, that's a really cool thought. I had never considered the possibility of him showing up here, but now I kind of hope he does. <laughs> yeah. I also, you just brought up Captain Marvel and that that uh, led me to realize that we didn't circle back to Monica, her character in this episode, which there are a couple little details about her, like the blank MRI scans and the fact that they needed to draw her blood again. It makes you go, hmm, like what's going on like, since she came through the hex, you know, has that kind of changed her and uh you know is this going to be somehow related to the powers that that she gains because we know in in the comics that she has powers but what did you make of you know when jimmy woo and darcy bring up captain marvel her face falls and she's like we're not talking about her what did you make of that yeah that i was that could be so many things because we know the status of her more current relationship with Captain Marvel. Right. I was thinking she could possibly be bitter about the fact that Captain Marvel didn't come back for her or her mom, even when her mom was dying. Like she still didn't take the time because obviously she's, she feels her, her civic duty is to protect the entire universe. And she said it before that like the earth has the Avengers, but the rest of the universe doesn't. So she, feels like she has to help everyone which means that coming back to earth is not a priority and i feel like maybe monica would is kind of upset by the fact that coming back to them isn't a priority for her yeah that's what i was kind of wondering as well it it made me think about you know to what extent carol had still been involved in monica's and maria's life uh between 1995 and current timeline, which I think is 2023. And yeah, you know, it, it made me wonder too, like, has Carol, has Carol been in contact? Has she been visiting them? Like, did she know that Maria Rambo was sick? You know, clearly, uh, 
Monica just got unblipped a few days ago. Has has Carol reached out? You know, I, I don't who knows where where Captain Marvel is right now. And we're going to see the movie Captain Marvel 2 in, in a couple of years. But, you know, has she tried to communicate with with Monica Rambeau? And if certainly if she hasn't, I could understand why Monica uh, would be really upset <laughs> um, yeah. that that she hadn't kept that relationship up. Before we wrap up, did you have any thoughts on any of the other characters that we didn't spend as much time on? There was a lot to talk about this episode, um, so we didn't really touch too much on Jimmy or Darcy or any of them, but... I mean, I just love Darcy. I'm so (laughs) glad they brought her back Yeah, because I missed her from Thor. (laughs) She was so good. Yeah, she's she's great. Uh, Last week, seeing her was so delightful, and, and this week it just continues. I loved the dynamic between, uh, or I should say among, the three of them, she and Jimmy Woo and Monica Rambeau. That was great. Yes, so. her her and Jimmy are, like, amazing. Just the power duo of figuring yeah. things out. <laughs> I, just, I just love that dynamic. And then they both just agreed that the captain was just not, or the director guy was just not a... A nice man. <laughs> I loved that, too. <laughs> I don't want to speak ill of people, but... Um, <laughs> and she's like, I'll do it for you. No, it's, it's just not every, every friendship needs both of those energies. Yes. Any last thoughts on your mind? Anything in your notes that we didn't get get into? We addressed literally everything I wrote about. So that, <laughs> this was a very, very productive conversation. And thank you for having me. That was very fun. I like talking and theorizing about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Rachel. This I knew it would be really fun to talk to you about about WandaVision because it was fun to talk to you about the the Avengers movies that we did, but there's just something so special with seeing WandaVision unfold week to week. And I really, I appreciate your, the connections that you made with the prior movies as well. So thanks again. We were, we were both very hyped about this show too. Like I, yes. we, we've been talking about it. Like this is <laughs> going to be a fun episode to record because yes. we love this show a lot. Yes. So now I guess you have to get back to your, reading of joseph conrad huh oh yes lord <laughs> lord jim the excitement i'm shaking with anticipation <laughs> oh my gosh all right well thank you again rachel thank you for having me <laughs> if you enjoyed this conversation about episode five of wandavision you can follow the podcast at an idea underscore podcast on instagram and twitter Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at B Pender Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in each Thursday to hear me and my guest of the week tackle the big ideas of the latest episode of WandaVision. <laughs>